Four Branham. <clears throat> hallelujah, hallelujah. Welcome hallelujah. to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled, multicultural amen, church in Boca Raton, Florida. Service, if you would like more information uh, year, about Revival were, Life Church uh, or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find thing. us on the so, web you know, at revivallife.church. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm growing. Hopefully you've grown this year. Have, have you felt like 2022 is a year of growth? Okay, okay. If you can't say I grew, can you say I was stretched? <laughs> You're going to grow with Jesus one way or another. You, you either going to grow from the inside or you're going to be stretched from the outside, but there's going to be some change happening. Amen. If you're like, no, not much has changed this year. I'll be like, well, it's time to meet Jesus because uh, with Jesus, stuff changes. Amen. Stuff changes. And, and the funny thing about walking with Jesus and stuff changing is um, we don't always know how or why. Amen. We, we don't, we don't, we don't like, like God like, one of the great things about God is that he's God, right? That we actually have a God who doesn't need us to, like, um, leave little offerings of, of food and drink. You ever seen going to places, like, yeah. certain maybe nail places or whatever, and they got a little statue, and, like, we got to feed it stale beer. And like, he's not even drinking the beer. Like, he's not even eating the food. Like, and he requires that. Like, like we don't, so we don't have a God who's dependent on us to be alive, and that, that's so good. Uh, and, the, and, and, and maybe one of the biggest downfalls of having this living God as our God is um, he's God, right? And so he's God all on his own. And he's doing what he wants to do all on his own. It's like he feels like he's in charge. And, and he doesn't have to check with any of us to do what he wants to do. And that, that, would, be a, that would be a frightful thing. I'm going to get geopolitical for a second in my intro here. We got a guy in Russia who has no checks or balances on his power. And he just decided, um, you know, I've, I've run out of industries in Russia to bribe my oligarchs with. Ukraine's got some. We can take over this country and I can bribe more oligarchs. And I don't need to check with anybody. And so now 100,000 Russians are dead because there's no check on this, this, this man's power. Um, and, and we have a God who similarly does not have to check with anyone However, our God is love. Amen. Amen. Our God is love. And so while he doesn't have to check with anybody, um, he doesn't have to check with anybody. But, but we have the assurance <clears throat> that whatever he does is in fact good, even if we don't understand what he's doing. <clears throat> now, if you are not walking with Jesus right now, I make... No excuses for God. I don't try to um, convince you uh, that you should trust God. I have no desire to defend God's goodness because he is good all on his own. He'll show you himself that he's good, right? I don't have to say, oh, I'm so sorry, or try to trick you into following God or give you a bait and switch. You know, if you follow God, everything's going to be perfect and you're going to just, uh, you know, uh, roses are going to, you know, you're going to be leaving roses in the bathroom. And I like, like, no, like, like you follow Jesus, life is going to get interesting, but it will be good. Been one of the first lessons you learn when you start following Jesus is what good is. Everything he does is good. Not everything that you thought was good is good. <clears throat> And God has no problem rearranging what, what you think words mean. What does good mean? What does soon mean? <clears throat> he re, he like, like he's, not, he's not bound by what we think words mean. And so we find ourselves in this Christmas season 
with, with a story that is fantastical at the very least. It is, it is the story of all stories. <clears throat> and the longer you walk with God, the more you understand that God is story. And the story is unfolding. It's not a fictional story. It is the most real story that has ever happened. But our fictional lives that we have created in our own mind are being bent to the reality of the God story. And the Bible says that he is reconciling all things together to him. That means that the entire cosmos is moving toward God, whether you know it or not, whether you want it or not, whether you're planning it or not. The Bible says that he is reconciling all things together toward him. The Bible says that in the end, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I choose to believe that that is because they will see that he is good. That is not like some king with a sword forcing people to do something they don't want to do. I, in my heart, I refuse to believe that anybody will see God and not want to follow him. Everybody wants a king like Jesus because he is beautiful and he is wonderful. And so we have this Christmas story that we can try to fit into our understanding of reality or, or, we can say, this is reality that I need to get my mind conformed to. And this is what God offers us. So let us read <clears throat> Matthew's rendition of this story. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That's how you know this is how you know you have a real visitation of God. Let me, let me tell you, friend. Let me, let me put a little comma right here. We're, 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 we're a Pentecostal, spirit-filled church. Amen? Amen? We believe the Holy Ghost can do whatever He wants. But I have found the more sovereign encounter you have had with God, the more necessary He has to say, don't be worried. Yeah. If God hadn't freaked you out, you, you just need to lean into Him a little bit more. <clears throat> Amen. Verse 20. <clears throat> like if the fear of the Lord does not come upon you after an encounter with God, you might want to go back to the prayer closet. Okay, Carl, you're not going to go down that road right now. But let's just say that I got a good point there and it would have been, I, I don't have time for it because we're reading the Bible right now. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 20. Let's read this again. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep 
and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and Mary and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth and to have a son. And he called his name Jesus. And Father, I thank you and trust that you do bless the reading of your word and all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. This is a story that we all are, are quite familiar with. Um, atheists are familiar with this story. I would believe that if you grew up in America, you've heard of the story of the birth of Jesus, either told through the lens of ridicule or the lens of faith or just our secular world. Our Savior that came into the world through the virgin birth of Mary. Now, you may find that silly. You may find it um, 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 fictional, and, and it, and it would be crazy for us Christians to believe such a ridiculous story. And people have lots of natural theories on how Mary really got pregnant. But I'm here to let you know that that is not the important part of this story. The important part of this story is not that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, though I fully, absolutely believe it. The important part of this story is that God came in flesh and walked among us as a human. That our God left heaven and put on flesh so that we could know as humans that we could become a little more like God. The important part of this story is that we have a God who is so wonderful and loving and saw how we could not get it right on our own. He decided to come down and model it for us. This is the beautiful part of this story. But there's many parts of this story that are amazing and beautiful. A part of the story is that Jesus came, as we know, uh, was born in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Right. We know this, right? There's no room in the inn. And so he was born out in a barn somewhere, they think. And uh, they put him in a little trough. And there's symbolism in all that. But I want you to consider the story afresh. We're talking about the gospel means good news. And if it's not still news to you, it's not the gospel. And so maybe I can try to reframe this a little bit so this whole story can be new again. When I think about the birth of Jesus, I think about when uh, Tracy and I became parents. And um, certainly, I do love my son, and he is amazing, but he's not Jesus come in the flesh, right? Like, if you've had a kid, you know there's no possible way, right? Like, you wonder, like, how did Mary and Joseph do it? Like, uh, like how do they keep this kid from being scarred and needing eternal healing, right? Um, and so, but, but I remember <clears throat> as I was praying into this week and spending time with the Lord, the Lord brought me back to when... Uh, Tracy and I were expecting our first child. Now, I was somewhat new in the Lord. I've been saved a little less than a couple years. And I was still at the point uh, where I was walking in kind of that grace bubble. You, you know that new bubble that new believers get where you think like there's nothing but rainbows and unicorns everywhere you go. And now God is speaking to you through everything and, uh, and everything is lining up in your favor. And you're finding out that you're the most special person on the world, right? And everything's going to walk perfectly. And, um, and uh, I quickly got a call to ministry. And um, shortly after my call to ministry, the, the, my pastor told me that we're, uh, he's moving to South Florida to, to plant a church. And the Lord told me I was supposed to come help him. And I was like, wow, everything is lining up. And um, everything like is just going to be perfect because I'm a Christian and I'm special, right? And so I'm not going to have problems that these other Christians have had. And uh, everything's going to be wonderful. And, uh, and, I, and I remember, I, remember I, I wrote down in my journal uh, what was going to happen when I moved to South Florida. 
I was going to move to South Florida. I was going to get a great job. I was going to buy a house. Then I was going to get married and have kids. Like that was clear. Like I just knew that God had said that to me. Now, what I did not recognize was that it would not happen in that order, right? Like I thought I would get a great job. I would buy a house. I would get married and have a child in that order. And um, what happened was I got a job. (laughs) And I got to tell you, some is better than none, but it wasn't the great job, right? And then I got married. And so now I'm married and I don't have a house uh, and I have a child on the way and I have a job that I absolutely hate. And my wife had a job that she absolutely hated. Is anybody resonating with this story at all? Not owning a house, not having a job that I like, wife not having a job that she likes, baby on the way. And um, we began to freak out a little bit. Um, and and, and in those days, um, we were able to freak out real good, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm older in the Lord now, and so I, I freak out under a little bit less radically than I was in those days, but we were freaking out pretty good, and uh, we had no idea what we were going to do, and, uh, and it caused my wife, what I didn't understand, because since I knew everything, you know, since I was a 29-year-old guy, I already knew everything, including everything about birthing a child, you know, I just knew everything, I had a full, I had a birth plan, um, I had a birth plan, and then I remember one day thinking, I should ask Tracy if she has one. And as it turned out, it looked nothing like my birth plan, right? And I was like, hmm, I might have something to learn here. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, and so, um, so, so I, I talked to my wife about this. And what I didn't recognize was, you know, here's, here's a woman who's getting later in her pregnancy and does not have a nursery for her child. And like all the like evolutionary buttons are going off in her head. Like I need to make a place for my child. We've been expecting a, a house. We don't have a house. I got a word that God was going to give us a house, and it was no closer than it was the day I got that word, right? Like, we were, like, like, like freaking out, and we didn't know what we were going to do. Remember this, honey? And, uh, yeah, she remembers, yeah. <clears throat> because I had a word that we were going to buy a house, and we're in an apartment, and I refused to set up a nursery because, to me, that looked like I didn't have faith that we were going to get the house. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Like presumption over faith, right? And so my wife, we're getting, you know, month seven, month eight, no nursery, man of faith, woman of doubt, right? In my mind. <laughs> Lord, if it weren't for this woman that you brought me like Adam, right? It's this woman you brought me, <laughs> right? And so uh, here we were in this little conflict, me and my great faith, which had not produced a house, right? And this... And this woman who was producing a child, right? So there was a little conflict happening here, right? <laughs> One of us was bearing fruit. <laughs> and uh, she met with a woman at church, and uh, she was serving in nursery with this woman in church that I don't even like. Uh, and, but she met with this woman, and um, this, uh, she was telling this woman, like, basically, she was freaking out, like, we're about to have this baby. And this woman said to us, um, I, I remember it. I remember really, really, really clearly. She said, listen, you're going to go to the hospital. You're going to have this baby, and you're going to bring him home. And wherever that is, it's going to be home. You're going to make a place for him, and that's going to be home. And I don't know why that even brings emotion to the surface right now. Like that word of wisdom, that word of comfort. Like you, 
your husband, this baby, that's a home. Like whatever you imagined in your head, like whatever fantasy you had, like that, that none of that is going to do it. The love you have for this child in the house. And we heard that and I was like, that sounds like the word of the Lord for us right there. And so we, we had a two-bedroom apartment, praise God. So we began setting up the nursery and um, we're not good preparers apparently because the baby came before we packed a bag to go to the hospital. But Isaac came home and um, like, like we came home and we raised him and he's still alive, right? So we got a house and, you know, we kept him alive, praise God. For all of you with the young kids, I remember the day my youngest turned 18 and I was like, I did it. I raised two adults. <laughs> like, I can give up now if I want to. Like, like, it's, like <laughs> technically my job is done. Like, and so that time is coming, right? I just want to let you know. And uh, you kids that think you can act like a fool the rest of your life, there's a time coming <laughs> where, where your parents' job is done. <laughs> and then uh, you're on your own. But hey, um, but, but the point here is Jesus, like the world was not ready for Jesus. But Jesus was coming regardless. Like the word said that Jesus was coming and whether they had room at the inn or not, the baby is coming. And I like talking to some people where I know their parents are praying parents and they're young people and they're like, oh, I'm just not going to follow God. And I'm like, you have no clue that you don't have nearly as much choice in this as you think you do. You do not understand the intercession that follows you everywhere. You think all that problem that you're having at school, at work, with your boyfriend, with all, you think that's, that, that's like happenstance? Or do you think that's intercession following you around saying, stop making stupid choices? Like God is coming whether you are ready or not. And Jesus, it had been decided before the foundation of the world that Joseph and Mary were going to bear this child, Jesus. Jesus, I mean, let me stretch your brain a little bit this morning. Jesus is eternally, eternally the son of Virgin Mary. Before the foundation of the world, he was born of the Virgin Mary. He, has, he is unchanged from eternity past to eternity future. I don't understand that, but it's the truth. And in the appointed time, the Messiah came. Amen. There wasn't a, a full in on the planet that was going to keep Jesus from breaking into the world. Amen. Amen. My word about us buying a house wasn't going to stop Isaac from being born. Wait, Isaac, we haven't bought a house yet. My wife had to wait one contraction, she about lost her mind in the midst of birthing. Like, this is not, like, it is, it is not waiting for you. Can you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Jesus is coming. And, and we, we see here in this scripture how God chooses to make a home wherever his son is. The father decided Jesus is going to be here. I'm going to make my home among Mary and Joseph. Wherever Jesus is, God has decided to make his home. Amen. When Jesus is in the building, he's going to make room for his will. He's going to change hearts and minds and get his will accomplished. You just have to yield to him. You, you just get to decide how long it's going to take. You just get to decide, like, am I going to yield to his will now 
Or will I continue to try to get things done the way I think they're supposed to get done? That, that's really, that's, that's, that's the wrestle right there. There's this like fictional idea that there's some war in heaven happening between good and evil and that Jesus and the devil are somehow fighting over you. And no, no, Jesus has never ever been in a battle with the devil. The devil has never had anything on God. There's no war in the heavens between God and the devil. Like it's it's not it's like that's like WWE type stuff. It's not real. It's it's fiction. God just thought it and the devil fell from heaven. I mean it's it's there is no battle. There's no battle happening. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. And 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 amen. Amen. The real battle is between you and God. The real battle is between my will and God. Will I yield to him or will I yield to fear? That that is the battle. That is what it all comes down to. And the good news is Jesus is not on the outside waiting for you to make a choice. By his spirit, he's actively cheering you on to check to choose God. By His Spirit, He's constantly encouraging you to choose God. By His Spirit, He's constantly giving you ways of escape from sin. By His Spirit, He's constantly giving you a new direction, words of encouragement. I mean, this is, this is good news. And, 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 and we find in this story, like we, we know that the times were different when Jesus was born. Today, I believe if Jesus had chosen to come in this time, it would look different, but in those days, women were married a little younger, and the men they married were generally a little older. Today, it would look a little icky. It'd be a little icky, right? But this, is, this was the culture of the day in, that Jesus was born in. And so we know Mary was probably a mid-teen, we're, we're, we're guessing. And women were um, betrothed uh, before they got married, and it wasn't like you pick, oftentimes, it wasn't like you, you get a boyfriend and being betrothed is super dating. It was like often the families came together and they're like, oh, by the way, that's who you're marrying um, when you get to this age. And, and you got betrothed before the woman was ready to get married. And it was an engagement, but it was like more of a super engagement. It's kind of like church dating, right? You know, like in church dating, you're as good as married, right? Until you get divorced, right? Like that's for some reason... That's how it works in church. That's why I encourage people, don't, like, just pump the brakes a little bit. Groups, maybe, be friends, because it's hard. I got, got quiet here. It's hard. It's hard for Christian couples to break up for some reason, right? Like, I don't like him. I should go God and change my heart. No, maybe he's not the one for you. Maybe you don't need to fix him. You just need to just break it off and find somebody else. Don't marry that one, right? Like, First date doesn't mean, don't, don't and, and let me just say this. this, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but listen, don't start talking about marriage in the first handful of dates, Christian women. Just don't, don't go there, Christian guys, don't do it. Just give God time. Take your time. These women didn't have that opportunity. And so Mary, Mary was, was just a teen and she was betrothed to be with Joseph. And um, that means legally under the law, they were as good as married in their um, re relationship requirements, meaning you could not be betrothed and be with someone else. That would be considered adultery. That would be considered cheating. So you were locked in 
at that point, though you couldn't be really locked in because you weren't married yet. Y'all feel what I'm saying? All right, mixed room, just trying to, you know. And so, and so they were waiting for her age. So let's go back to our scripture here in Matthew chapter 1. In verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, meaning they had not had sex yet, they, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. One of the, one of the things we have really tried to emphasize here at Revival Life Church is we've wanted to dig into the Word and find out what the Word means. Is We want to slow down a little bit. We want to slow down, especially with scriptures we're familiar with. Us Pentecostal charismatics, we're really good at wrestling with the Holy Ghost to figure out what he's saying. We're not as good at wrestling with Scripture. And if we are going to be mature Christians, filled with the Word and the Spirit, we need to learn to wrestle with Scripture. What does this mean? So the Bible says that Mary, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought, what does that mean? How do you, now this is a a passive word. If you look at it in the Greek, the word found, it's passive. It doesn't mean that she told someone. It literally says that somehow it was found out that she was pregnant. Was it a baby bump? Was it her cycle? We don't know. But somehow it was found that she was pregnant with Holy Spirit. Now, we know that an angel had come and told her that this would happen. But the Bible doesn't say anywhere that Mary told anybody. As a matter of fact, it says that she held, hid all these things in her heart. So she hid the idea that she was going to be with the Savior in her heart, but somehow it was found that she was impregnated before she was married. Now, also, the Scripture does not say anything about the fact that she defended herself. It doesn't say anything about that. There's no no text about this at all. But it does tell us something about Joseph, oddly enough. Let's look at verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, see, they're not married yet, but considered to be her husband. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now, this is interesting. Joseph, a righteous man. What does it mean to be a righteous man? Now, now we got to really think. Here's a righteous man who found out his fiance is pregnant and he knows he's not the dad. Now, what does it mean to be righteous in that situation? What do you do in that situation as a righteous man? I know what righteous anger would look like in that situation, right? Now, now righteousness in the old covenant and the righteous in the new covenant are, are, are very similar, but when we get, we think about it in the English language of today, uh, we think of righteousness as doing the right thing, right? That's a fair, fair definition, wouldn't you say? To be righteous is to do the right thing. Well, according to the Torah, the law, Joseph was bound to do some things. The penalty for adultery under the Old Testament law was death by stoning. And the penalty applied even to being, to engaging in infidelity before marriage. That's Deuteronomy chapter 22. Let's take a look at it. Deuteronomy 22 verse 23 says, if there is a girl who is a virgin, which the Bible tells us Mary was, if there was a girl who was a virgin engaged to a man and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death. 
The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. <clears throat> so if you find a woman, thank you, Josh. So if you find a woman who's pregnant and she's not married, the penalty under the law is that you murder her by hitting her with rocks. Now that is, that's, that's brutal, right? That's, that's, but the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous Man, now by the time of the New Testament, there isn't, there isn't really record of them doing that. Right? Like, there's, like there's a lot of law that there isn't a lot of record that was kept. So it's easy for us as Christians who really wanted to keep all the words of Jesus to kind of put that onto the Old Testament and think that the people of the Old Testament viewed the Old Testament the same way. But there's lots of things in the Old Testament that are laws like the Jubilee. There's no record of the Jubilee actually ever being kept right? This giving people, forgiving all sin and giving the land back. We know it's in the Bible, but we don't have any real record of it actually happening, right? So by the time they got to the New Testament era, the era of Jesus, now they didn't murder women as such. However, if it was found out that Joseph's wife was pregnant, we have lots of record that she would have been cast out of the city. She, could, she would have been an outcast. She could not be in public life. And Joseph, had he married her, he could not be in public life. As a matter of fact, they would have been considered no longer part of the Jewish culture. They both would have been under persecution. He would have been cut off. He would not be able to have any inheritance. Like There was great consequences, even though most likely nobody would have been murdered. However, the, the principle carried over that not only would Mary be judged, so would Joseph. So there is in the law that says if you are engaged to a woman and she cheats on you, you are allowed to divorce her. You publicly sign a divorce decree. She is cast away without you. You can now go on with your life. Maintain your honor. Maintain your status. That's what the law requires. But what did the, a righteous man do? Let's take a look at this again. Verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a... Okay, now the Bible said he was righteous. That means he was... Okay, so what did this righteous man do? And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now, this is, this is something. This, is, this, this, this ought to stretch your brain a little bit. Now, he's a righteous man, and he knew he couldn't marry her. He's like, I, you know, I, I would be giving away everything. Like, and, and there's no record that they were in love. So it's not like he dated this girl, and he's like, well, you know, we're in love, and you cheated on me, and I'll... You know, you said it was God, but hey, come on now. All right. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, but I love you, and so I'll just raise baby as my... He couldn't do that. Like, that's, that, that wasn't possible uh, according to that culture. And so he's like, what, what can I do? Well, I could somehow get with her family, whatever, and let's move her to another city where nobody knows her. She could say her husband was killed and be raised, raise the child, right? He didn't want to punish her. And he didn't want her to be ashamed. The Bible calls that righteous. The Bible calls that righteous. The Bible calls that being a righteous man. Everything pointed to Mary transgressing the law. But Joseph was not going to follow the law. He was going to cover Mary. And that was considered righteous. This is the kind of man that raised Jesus. Amen. So righteousness, as we look in the New Testament, uh, it's the Greek word dike. 
Uh, and it's an interesting word because we like to use our modern definition of words and put them onto the Bible instead of finding out what the Bible really means. This, this, this word, um, dike, uh, it has a double meaning. It can be translated every time correctly as the word righteous, but it is the same word for justice. Justice and righteousness are the same word. You do not get justice without righteousness. You do not, get, you do not have righteousness without justice. Now, we like to think of justice as like somebody gets what they deserve, and righteousness is behaving the right way. And so it's justice for me to punish a sinner. That's like I, now I'm getting justice. Uh, and righteousness is, or, or, or justice um, somehow, um, righteousness means that people are following the law, and justice means we punish people who don't follow the law. But that's not how the Bible looks at these words. Joseph did not follow the law, and that was called righteous. So when you hear people making arguments that when the church argues for justice, it's somehow against the scriptures, they're letting you know they don't know the scriptures. When you say, I want our society to reflect justice for all people, you are standing on a long biblical tradition. And those who argue against it are standing in the way of Pharisees who would rather the law stone Mary than be righteous like Joseph. Are, are you catching this at all? Right? We're not saying anything goes. Clearly, there are boundaries to proper behavior. But God is on the side of grace. Amen? So here we got Joseph. This, this, this self-righteousness that we see in the church today that likes to call it God's righteousness is not. It is, we do what I think is right, just like when I had a birthing plan for my wife. That was not righteous. <clears throat> that was self-righteousness. I know more than the one who's being affected by what I'm talking about. Amen. <clears throat> And so acts of justice, come on. So acts of justice, people say can't be righteous, but no, no, actually, the two are tied together. You cannot have one without the other. God's righteousness is ever growing on the earth. He declares righteous those who seek his righteousness. That is how you become righteous. How do I be a righteous Christian? How do I be righteous? And what the religious church would tell you is, oh, that's so easy. Here's what you do. You don't look at pornography. Uh, you, you know, they, and they'll give you these rules you have to keep as if the law ever produced anyone righteous. Jesus said to the, these people, and, 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 and the apostles said to these people, there are none righteous. No, not one, because these are people who thought they were righteous because they were acting righteous. I'm keeping the laws, therefore I've declared myself righteous. He's like, no, there are none of y'all who are righteous. Because you think that you are righteous, you're not. How do we become righteous? The Bible says, seek to be righteous. Seek in your heart to be a righteous person. This is how you become righteous. This is why I can't put my conviction on you, and you can't put your conviction on me. Again, those of you who are looking to stone me for saying that, of course there are limits to all behavior. I can't murder someone and say, you know, well, I'm not convicted about it. It must be all right. Well, God didn't convict me of cheating on my wife. No, bro, because you ain't saved, right? Like, this is like this. This has nothing to do with you not, you know, the, the, the conviction of the Spirit. This is because you don't understand how to act, right? 
So there's, we're talking about within Christian liberty. I can't put my conviction on you. You can't put your conviction on me. The Holy Spirit has spoken to me very clearly in the last couple of years about the study of Scripture, how much time I'm supposed to study, how much Greek I'm supposed to study, the Hebrew I'm supposed to dive into. For me to stand and tell you that's now how you become righteous would be unrighteous. But in me, following after what God has told me is righteousness. Are, are, are you getting this? Okay. <clears throat> the Holy Ghost was moving in Joseph because he was a man of justice already. This is super important in the story, and I hope you catch this. Joseph, before Holy Spirit ever spoke to him, the Bible doesn't indicate that Mary told him this was God. Before any of this, he had decided in his heart to be a man of righteousness. Watch what happens. <clears throat> well, let me tell you this. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I want to make this point before I move on. You become righteous by seeking righteousness. And righteousness is the only thing that will satisfy your soul. I mean, I want to live a satisfied life. I want to lay down at night and feel like my life mattered. I want to sit down at dinner with my family and we say grace. And I want to know, like, we are in right standing with God and I am at peace. And the Bible says the way we get that satisfaction is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The world can't fulfill that desire. God is giving a blueprint in this on how to make room for God in your life. As you hunger and thirst for righteousness, I want to be a righteous man of God. You want to be a righteous woman of God. You want to be a righteous student of God. You want to be a righteous youth. You want to be a righteous elder of God. This is a prayer that you pray to God. And then I believe he makes room in your life to become righteous. The Holy Spirit comes and begins talking to you and drawing you into areas that are righteous. He starts lighting up dark rooms so you know which way to go. As there's so many Christians who are, who are no, don't want to go down that road. Hallelujah. I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I'm, I, I, just, I know people, they want to follow God. And nobody tells them, God wants it more than you do. And he has all the power to draw you right where he wants you to go. If you would talk to him and seek him, he will draw you into his righteousness. And what will happen is, by his spirit, he'll draw you into acts of righteousness. When you commit acts of justice, you make room for God in your life. Let me say this again. When you commit acts of justice, you make room for God in your life. When you show mercy on someone who does not deserve mercy, you are making room for God in your life. When you share the gospel with somebody who does not know the gospel, you are making room for God in your life and you are attracting the spirit of God. When you feed a hungry person, when you get angry with someone and you decide to be nice even though they don't deserve it in your mind, you are creating space in your life for the righteousness of God to come and land. Amen. Every time you rebuke sin in your life, every time you choose righteousness, you're choosing the Holy Ghost. There's space in your brain 
And who's going to reign in this battle between good and evil? Between your will and God's will. Who's going to win? Every single time you choose God's way, you attract God in an area that was dominated by the evil one. That's good news. Amen? So it says us, Joseph was a righteous man who showed mercy on Mary. Verse 20, watch this. But when he, Joseph, had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I don't even know how you process that. Right? How do you process that? How, how, how do you process that? She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, we know Jesus, for some reason, isn't transliterated. It should be into Joshua, which means salvation, which is what he was called. Um, and, so, and, the, and the word means salvation. The word literally means salvation. She shall bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now it makes a little sense, right? The name means salvation. Let me tell you this. If you've been walking with God a long time, or maybe you grew up in a really religious church, maybe you grew up in a, in a church that preached about sin more than they preached about God. Maybe you grew up in an atmosphere that made you more scared of the devil than in love with God. Maybe, 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 maybe somehow you were told some gospel that God is very, 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 very angry. Like, God is very angry with your sin. He is so angry with your sin, any moment now, you may die and be sent to eternal damnation because God craves this punishment, right? Like, there's a whole theology that God, any moment now, wants to eternally torment sinners because that's all He can do with sin. And let me tell you, it is a failure of imagination to think that the only thing God can do with sin is punish sinners. Carl, what are you, what are you talking about, Pastor? What, wait, wait, wait. Let's read the verse we just read. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. I'm, 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 we're stretching brain cities. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah. I, want, I want to be a student of the Word, don't you? Yeah. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name... Right, let's say it again. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. Not from his father. Amen. 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 Come on, one class, we all clap. There's a whole theology out there that Jesus came to save you from his father. And it is a lie from the devil. How can God be love and God's highest quality be anger? How is that possible? Jesus came to save you from your sin. Jesus came to save you from your sins. The Father sent Jesus to save you from your sin. It don't make no kind of sense that he would send Jesus to save you from him. That don't, what kind of schizophrenic God would that be? Am I using the word wrong, honey? Bipolar, right? Or what, I don't know. Whatever it is. But it doesn't make any kind of sense. Like when I can't wait to do something, I'm not sending somebody to mess it up for me. 
I feel like the, I feel like the condemnation is lifting off. Like the, like, amen, God is good. Like, he's really good. I've just, I've met so many people who just don't have this concept in their brain and are preaching like, God is love. He's so loving. He's just so amazingly loving. I mean, but he's going to completely kill you any moment now, and he can't wait for it. Like, like whoa, like, which, which, which is it? He really is love, and he desires you to choose life. Amen. And he sent Jesus so that you could have life Amen. and have it more abundantly. Like, he came to save you from your sins. Now, you can drown if you want, I think. My theology is that he'll let you do whatever you want. You know, can Christians have a demon? They can have whatever they want, right? And so Jesus came to save you from that, though. Amen. Amen. She will bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her as a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, Joseph had already decided to be a righteous man before the Lord ever spoke to him. And he had no reason to believe that God would speak to him. He he wouldn't baptize in the Holy Ghost. He wouldn't save. This This wasn't the covenant that we live in that we could just pray on it and expect God to talk to us. You have the law, but in his heart, he was a righteous man. I, 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 believe, I believe that um, since Joseph had decided to be a righteous man, and he was of such character, and he walked in that character in the midst of this very, very, very tough testing. Like, here's a young man. Everybody knew he was engaged. Families are coming together, and now he's in this trial. What do I do? I know what the righteous or what's considered the righteous thing to do is, but something in me says, don't do that. Treat Mary with kindness. Cover her. Protect her. I don't know what to do about this. I'm in turmoil. I am in conflict. And I believe that the Lord blessed that in him. But there's something else that we see in this. Joseph had a dream. And the Lord visited him in the dream. This means that he went to bed with this conflict. This means he found out about it and waited to do something. He found out that his fiance was pregnant and he wasn't the daddy. And he was able to go to sleep with that. Now me, I don't know when I go to sleep again. And she'd have been put out before I go to bed, right? Like like in, in my mind, in my mind, we'd have dealt with that real quick, like, right? You know what I mean? Like, that would be, by the end of this conversation, we won't be a couple anymore, and everybody's going to know it. But Joseph was able to sleep with this. Joseph waited. This, this one act of patience changed history. You, you, you got to sometimes just wait on God before you do something. Like, we want to rush into stuff. Like, here's some turmoil, and I know what I should do, but maybe I should wait on God. Maybe God is working in this thing. Maybe there's a dream that's going to come in the midnight hour that's going to show me what God is doing in the midst of this thing. Maybe I shouldn't rush into this. Maybe I should wait a little bit. Maybe God is actually working on levels I do not understand at this moment. Maybe God is being God right now, even though I don't recognize it yet. There's no way Joseph thought this was God, but he was a man who was going to wait to act. He wasn't going to rush in. Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, and he planned to put her away, but he slept on it. 
The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 6, the Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Watch this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Watch this. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Can you say amen to our loving God? Come on, just thank him for a second. Come on, just, just thank him right now that he is slow to anger in your life. Come on. No, no, just spend five seconds. Thank you, Jesus. That when I deserved to reap my, what I sowed, you were slow to anger in my life. I just thank you right now, Jesus, that you are slow to anger. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. This is what Joseph just demonstrated. He was slow to anger and he abounded in loving kindness. Man, what would happen if we just waited a little bit on God? I woke up this morning. And I woke up to a text message from Michael David, our worship director. And he said, I don't know what's going on in my body, but it's not good. And I can't get out of bed anymore. And I spent the last hour making backing tracks for the songs we were going to do today. Mailed them to me at 4.30 in the morning. And I woke up and I said, now, I, 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 I done been through so much in the last handful of years, like, Oh, look at that, you know? We may or may not have worship today. Like, that's where I'm at now. I'm just like, well, God, God's going to do something or, or he's going to do something, right? Like, that's what's going to happen. So I called Cessia, um, you know, I, I came up with my little plan. And I called Cessia. I said, Cessia, here's your options. Like, I don't want you to leave home and come here early if you're not going to be leading worship. She goes, well, I'm dressed. Let's just see what the backing track sounded like because I listened to it on my phone. It sounded whack. I was like, that's not going to work. And so I just had written it off. But Ceci was like, let's just see. And so Ceci had came in, and I was like, I thought it was pretty good. How about you? Yeah. Ah, come on, just give it up. Like, I worshiped, and I thought, I thought Ceci and Aletta did an amazing job. Amen? Like, what happens if we just wait on God? What happens if we just don't quite make decisions until we get everybody involved in the decision and talk to them? And how about we just wait before we get, we get rash and jump into things? The, the, the Bible tells us of, of Ahab's king of, king of Judah as we've been going through this book of Isaiah. And I'm, I'm almost done mostly for Carl, right? And, and, and we talked about how, you know... If, if, if you're not up on Isaiah, we've been, we've been kind of preaching through the book of Isaiah. And at some point in history, Israel split into two countries. I know you all know this, and I'm just going to let you know. You know, I know you, it's for the new people. I know you guys know all of this. But there was this little argument about money, and so Israel split into two countries, Israel and Judah, right? Uh, Israel was the northern kingdom, as you read the Old Testament. Judah was the southern kingdom, right? And so Israel and Judah didn't get along. Sometimes Israel had a good king and Judah had a bad one. Sometimes Judah had a good king. Israel had a bad one. And so you'll read they, you know, the timing of these countries as you read the Bible. It'll say, this guy became king when that guy was king. So you kind of know when stuff was happening. But we've been talking about um, Isaiah, who was a prophet in the southern kingdom. Uh, and there was these problems happening with Judah. Judah was scared because the nation... There was these powerful nations that were going to come and invade and destroy Judah. And the king, uh, Ahaz, was, of course, very worried because if you're the leader of a nation, you don't want it to be invaded and destroyed, right? That's part of your job is to keep that from happening. And he was worried. The problem was 
God was still their God, and they had to wait on God according to the way things are supposed to work. And uh, so he was scared about it was the, the nation of, of Syria. Actually, it was the southern part of Syria called Aram, if you were to read it. Uh, and, uh, and it was Israel, and they were going to make a pact, Israel and, and, and Syria, and invade Judah. And he was scared. And all this time, he'd been talking to God about this, and the prophet talking to God. And um, he didn't know what he was going to do, and he decided... You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make an alliance with a nation and they'll come alongside me. And God kept telling him, do not do this. Do not, you, you need to not take this into your own hands. You need to trust me. Leave your hands off it. And finally, God comes to Ahaz in Isaiah verse 7. He says, ask a sign for yourself. Isaiah 7, 11. Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. You can make the sign as Deep as hell or as high as the heavens. Ask any sign you want from me, right? Ask any sign you want. This is God telling Ahaz, Ahaz, listen, I am in control here. I need you to get that I am God. He says, ask any sign you want. And Ahaz didn't have any faith. He's like, I don't, I don't. He got a little self-righteous with God. No, no, the word says not to ask God for a sign. God's like, bruh, don't try to use the word against me. I wrote it. I am the word, right? Like, do not try me. You don't, you don't want to try me with this, right? And so he says to him, you know, there's a girl right now who isn't married. And he says, uh, and she's going to have a son. And before he's old enough to know right from wrong, I'm going to deal with those two nations. And you will not have to worry about them. Now, many people believe that's the prophet Hezekiah for those who track with the Bible that was born later. And in a few verses later, verse 16, he says, behold, the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good for the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. What are you talking about, Pastor? Here's what he said. He said, listen, I know this sounds urgent, but I've already talked to you about this. And when God has talked to you about something, he does not change his mind, no matter what it looks like around you. God had told him, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to protect you. And he keeps going back to God. God's like, listen, at this point, just pick a sign. I'm, I'm, pick a sign. Don't, do not do this. Do not make an alliance with people who do not have your best interest in mind. You have an alliance with me. I'm trying to tell you, this is all you need. Now, there's a girl who's not married. And he said, this is going to happen. By the time this kid is at the age of accountability, you can say that 8, 13, 18, depends on what you, how you count that. But the point here was, you're going to have to wait a minute. You're just going to have to wait on God a little bit. You're going to have to exercise a little bit of faith and trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Say amen. God acts mercifully and redemptively. And that sometimes takes the eyes of faith to see it. Let me say it again. God acts mercifully and redemptively, but sometimes that takes the eyes of faith to see it. I have found you find what you're looking for. And if you are looking for reasons not to trust God, you surely will find it. And God said, listen, you can ask for any sign you want. Let it be as deep as hell or high as heaven. I'll give you a sign. If you are looking for me, I will show you that I am God. And I'm here to let you know, if you will operate in the eyes of faith and start looking for God in your life, you will see him all over. Can you say amen? Yes. 
we're having our Christmas service online this year because I really wanted to bless. We, we, have a, we have a core group of volunteers who keep this church going, and I'm just so thankful for you all who serve, especially the folks who serve out back and the folks who show up early uh, to set up and all the parking lot and all of you who just, I, I, I was like, you know, Christmas, I was really, uh, I know you're blessed to serve the Lord. I know that you, you come and you serve the Lord and that God will bless you. Uh, but I wanted to do an online service just to we could be with families and whatnot uh, Christmas morning. I'm not saying we're always going to do that. We've had Christmas service live before. Probably do it again uh, in four years. How does that work? Six years? Five years? Seven years? Seven years? I don't know. Next time. Next time it happens. Seven years makes sense, right? Um, in seven years, should the Lord tarry. But, 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 but um, you know, we, we, we had like this, we had like, Worship is really good for this Christmas service, let me tell you. For those who was here, it's, it's really good. We, it's, it's really good. It's really good. We had a full band. And, um, and uh, I woke up this morning, and I found out we have no band. <laughs> Friday night, full band. Friday night, full band. Sunday morning, no band. And I'm thinking, do I play the video that we record for Christmas? <clears throat> And I called up Cecia. Now, I, just want, I just want you to just, I want you to hear, hear this with the eye of the faith. And so I called up Cecia. She's like, let's give it a shot. And so Cecia sang, and I don't know if you heard it, we had a full band. Had a full band. And God said, see, I, I want you to, uh, you know, you can preach this word knowing it's true. Jesus was born on what we call Christmas. He wasn't, but, you know, he was born. <laughs> he was born. <clears throat> Just not on December 25th, right? Uh, but he was born <clears throat> um, on Christmas. But I think he's okay with that. Amen? I, I, okay, I'm almost done, but let me tell you this. I feel like someone might wrestle with this. Let me, finish, let me say this, then I'll finish my message. Have you heard about Christmas being a pagan holiday? Uh, and you can't, you can't celebrate Christmas because you're celebrating a pagan thing. I had a conversation with someone this week about this, and, and they don't, they're not here, they don't live here, so I feel at liberty to give this <clears throat> example. Let, let's, 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 get a 10,000-foot view of this debate about whether or not we should celebrate Christmas since it's pagan, right? Let's say that God is God. Let's just agree on that, right? And let's say, let's say there is a religion called Islam. And let's say there's a month out of the year that the Muslims celebrate their God by not eating during the day and they fast during the day and eat at night, called Ramadan, right? So there's about a billion people on the planet, probably not all practicing, but, you know, who, who somehow lean into this belief. So there's a billion people at one time not worshiping God. And you decide, hmm, God, there's a billion people declaring you're not God on this month. I think I'm going to take that month and have a feast every night to declare that they may not believe you're God, but I certainly do. And so I am going to worship you every night this month. And someone would say, you're celebrating Ramadan? That's, a, that's not a Christian holiday. You're like, nope, I'm celebrating 
Jesus, the living God who rose from the dead and has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Would that be pagan? I don't think it would be. I think that would be quite Christian. And so on Christmas, we have a, you know, we have a pagan tree in the back, right? Like this is, it's just a tree. And I look at it and I think, ah, birth of Jesus. I like, I like thinking it like, Jesus will even use the devil's work to bring him glory. Amen? Like he will like, like if he'll save people in prison, then he can redeem a tree. If he'll save people in rehab, he can redeem, you know, a Frosty the Snowman. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like if he'll save murderers, I feel like he can redeem the Yuletide joy, right? I feel like, I feel like you can do this with a clear conscience. Amen? Amen. Just don't have your kids pray to Santa. Anyways, um, <clears throat> amen. Amen. Oh, I'm putting my foot in it. None of my business. Do what you want to do. I don't, none, none of my business. <clears throat> Here's what I want to say. Jesus was born on Christmas the first time. But Jesus is born in people's hearts every day. Amen. amen. Be, Jesus is being born in people's hearts all over the world every day. And let me say this, if the gospel is still news to you, he's continually being born in your life. Amen. Amen. He's continually being born. Jesus is continually being born in people's lives. And I want to I want to I want to encourage you. If you could play some music for me Brandon, if we can get the band to strike up at this very moment as it were. I want to encourage you in this Christmas season as we have been leaning in to making room for the coming of Christ to make a covenant with God today. Decide in your heart today, I'm going to purposefully, purposefully conduct acts of righteousness and justice to make room for Jesus in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to, I know I'm tempted at some things, but I'm going to say no. So in that area of connection with the unclean, I'm making room for Jesus. And I see these people that I don't want to help, but I'm going to help them because Jesus would have helped them. And in that, I'm making room for Jesus. And, and maybe, maybe the room you need to make for Jesus in your life is recognizing that you need to make room for Jesus in your life. We call that a salvation decision. I have decided that I need Jesus that I need the Son of God in my life, that He was born of the Virgin, that He lived a life without sin, somehow, no idea how, somehow, that He was murdered. He was raised up high and stretched out wide on that cross. But He did it for my sins, bearing the sins of the world. And they buried Him in a borrowed tomb But three days later, the Father raised him from the dead. And he was ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he reigns in righteousness. That means that he wants justice. And he wants justice for you. And that starts with destroying the works of sin in your life. That starts with coming to save you from your sin. Make a covenant with God today. I want some people in this room, maybe you're going to decide that I'm, I'm going to become a Christ follower today. 
I'm going to make room in my life for Jesus today. Other people, Jesus needs to be reborn in your life today. And you're going to make a fresh decision. You're going to make a decision to learn his ways. To make room for him to be born. And to share him with the people around you. Stand with me if you would. We're going to pray together. In this Christmas season, as many people are celebrating and many people are filled with joy, there's many others who this brings pain and sorrow to their lives because of the loss of the last couple of years. And if you're in this room and that's you, I want to send my condolences to you. I pray that this would be a season of comfort for you as you are able to rejoice with those around you who rejoice. But for the rest of us, I pray that in this Christmas season, we would have our hearts tender like Joseph was toward Mary. So many people through no fault of their own are suffering in the world around us right now. And Jesus sent us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. God wants to save you for your sins, but not just for you, but for this world. Because you will be the sign of righteousness for those around you. And you will carry salvation to them. I feel like I'm supposed to pray this. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe you're away from God. Or maybe, 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 maybe you've never met Jesus. You've never accepted him in your heart as your Savior. And God brought you here today by whatever reason or whatever means. That today is the day that you would decide that I am going to become a Christ follower. Or maybe you followed him in years past in ways that you're not following him now. Maybe, maybe you were on fire for God and you would say, Pastor, I was on fire for God. I was constantly making room for God. I used to constantly look for God. But today, he's kind of an afterthought. I, I actually act before I think and pray and wait on God. And today I'm deciding that I am going to change that. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to make room. I'm going to wait. Or maybe you're following God and you say, I need a fresh filling. I need a fresh dose of the Holy Ghost. I need a fresh encounter with God because things have gotten stale and I want to be on fire for Him and do these works of justice to witness to the world about His goodness, to lay hands on the sick and see them healed and to tell people and bring people to a place where they can find mercy instead of condemnation. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. I want to pray for you this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to put your hand up and down. If any one of these three things apply to you, I just want to pray for you. I see you. Yeah, you can put your hand down. Anybody else? Yeah. Yep, I see you. you, you. Anybody else before you? Yep, I see you. I see you. I see you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hallelujah. 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 If this is the first time you've prayed this prayer, we're about to pray together. We have a connection card we'd like you to fill out so we can get you some information. But the most important thing that's going to happen is I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and the Holy Ghost of God is going to come, and it's going to touch your life. Things are never going to be the same again. and God's going to come and lead you in ways that you did not know. So follow after me if you would. We're going to say this prayer. We're going to say it in faith. We're going to say it out loud, whether you said it a million times or the first time you've ever said it, we're going to say it together. Ready? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you for your love. Today I have decided to follow you. I believe that you were born from the virgin. That you never sinned. And you were murdered on the cross for me. They buried you in that grave for me. And the Father raised you from the dead. 
for me. And you were raised to the right hand of the Father for me. And one day you're coming back for me. Come on, say it proud. For me. And I thank you, Jesus. And I receive you as my Savior. Wash me clean from my sins. Fill me with your Holy Ghost. Light the fire in me again. And I'll walk in my purpose. And I'll follow you all the days of my life. Today I declare you're God. And you're my Savior. Forever and ever. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, give a clap off for the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 If you prayed that for the first time, we're going to have some people in the lobby who would love to speak with you and send you some information on walking with God. I feel the Holy Ghost in a special way. I pray that you would have an amazing Christmas, that you would join us Christmas morning online, that you'd be active in the chat. Come up if you would, please, my bride. If you would come on up. We have some refreshments that we're going to share together out here. Come on over here. And uh, we just want to say from the Thomas family to every one of your families, Merry Christmas. Now, allow me. Do you have an announcement before I bless them? Okay, now allow me to bless you before we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. And don't forget that very, very special day that's coming right after Christmas, December 26th, my birthday. Hallelujah. Have a great week. If you're a first-time guest, if you wait for me in the lobby, I would certainly love to meet you.